Good morning, everyone. And uh, <laughs> great to be here. And thanks for coming through the storm and making it through Dennis. Um, yeah, really good to be here. For those of you who don't know, my name's Alex. Um, I'm just going to start this morning with a bit of a challenge. Um, I'm just going to start by saying, are you listening? So, um, yeah, I'm just going to start by saying, are you listening? So there's a verse I want to read. It says, to those who are listening to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Are you listening? Because I've sat in these seats, and I've sat in many church seats over the years, probably thousands of hours in my life. And I know how easy it is to switch off. Um, And I know even when you think you're listening really well, that you'll probably struggle tomorrow to remember what I said today. And if you're struggling to remember tomorrow what I've said today, you'll struggle to apply things to your life. So this morning, I'm asking you to fight every distraction Focus on what's being taught. Even if you don't believe it, I'd like you to listen to what's being said. And you can feel feel free to come after me afterwards and challenge me and say you don't believe it and talk about it. I welcome you to do that, but please listen. Resist that urge to zone out. Resist thinking about what you need from the shops, what you're going to do after church, or about how messy your house is or what the score is on the sports you might be missing. Because you're here now, and it'd be really good if you listen. Because God's word says, it's a promise, that when you listen, more understanding will be given. And that's a gift from God. That's not human wisdom that you gain by listening. That's given from God. So, yeah, please listen. I'm just going to pray about that briefly, and then I'll get on to my topic for today. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you will remove every distraction, that you will allow us to focus on you. Lord, we are here to hear from you this morning. Father, I pray that you'll give that understanding, that knowledge, that wisdom from heaven, from above, that gift, Lord. I pray that you'll be present here, and it won't just be me speaking, but it'll be you opening hearts opening ears, opening eyes to see what you have for them today. Lord, we're here to glorify you. Lord, we pray be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'd really like you to pay attention. This isn't going to be a particularly easy sermon. I haven't picked a nice, joyful topic, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to be talking about one of the most controversial topics in Christianity, actually, uh, and probably one of the least favorite. I'm going to be talking about hell. But just because it's unpleasant, just because people may not like it, doesn't mean we can get away with ignoring the subject. Because if we ignore it, if we downplay it, then what we're doing is ignoring large parts of the Bible. We're ignoring God's word, we're downplaying God's word. And that is dangerous. So I'm going to ease you in gently, though. So before I get going, I'm going to play a little video clip from my favorite TV program growing up. Forbidden donut. Well, well, finishing something? (gasps) (gasps) Oh my 
did you eat that donut? No. Uh, you're wide behind won't save you this time. Hey, Bart. Hey. Wait, doesn't my father have the right to a fair trial? Oh, you Americans with your due process and fair trials. <laughs> this is always so much easier in Mexico. All right, very well. We'll have the trial tomorrow at the stroke of midnight. Till then, you're going to spend the day in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it wasn't so bad. Huh? Oh, 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 oh. So you like donuts, eh? Uh -huh. Well, have all the donuts in the world! More. I don't understand it. James Coco went mad in 15 minutes. Yeah, I love The Simpsons. Spent hours watching that when I was younger. Um, but that wasn't just to ease you in, actually. That was uh, a serious reason why I played that. Um, because there are really serious misconceptions about hell. And I actually think most of them probably come from The Simpsons. Um, well, maybe not entirely, but, uh, but the media in general likes to portray hell in some really unbiblical ways. So this morning I'm going to do a bit of myth-busting. So my first myth, that you are sent to hell by Satan. As you've just seen in that clip, and is so often portrayed in the media, it seems like hell is somewhere that Satan drags you off to. There's a line in a band called Rise Against, by song by them. And it says, may you be in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. I think it's actually a, an Irish folk blessing as well. <laughs> yeah. And the thought behind it is this, that if the devil knows you're dead, he's got you. He's coming to get you and he's going to drag you to hell. But the reality of the situation is revealed in the Bible. In Matthew 10, 28. It says... Do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, it's quite clear from the scriptures that hell is God's judgment. It's not Satan's private torture pad. Which brings me directly into my next point. It's the myth that Satan and his demons are torturing you in hell. Again, I'm blaming The Simpsons, but it's almost a universal depiction of hell. Man being tortured by demons and Satan. You see it in the ancient arts and you see it in the modern media. But again, we look to the scriptures for our truth, not the media and not the arts. And Revelation 20.10 tells us this. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. You see, hell isn't something Satan and his demons run around in control. They're not having fun and torturing people down there. Hell is God's punishment. 
The scriptures say God will throw the devil into hell and all those who follow him. And the fiery lake here is just a picture of hell. Make no mistake about it. God is in charge of everything and everyone. And Satan has a brief window here, a brief moment in this present time, where he's got his power and his ability to deceive people and to destroy people. But it's very quickly coming to an end, and God will punish him. And this leads me on to my next myth. And it's not something I can blame the Simpsons for, this one. Because you may have heard it said that hell is eternal separation from God. And I'm pretty confident this one originated from well-meaning Christians. Not the Simpsons. But unfortunately, well-meaning isn't the same as right. It's a myth. So let me be clear. There is nowhere in all of creation, and hell is part of that, that you can hide from God. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent, which is just another fancy word for meaning everywhere. And everywhere means everywhere, including hell. So going back to our scriptures, going back to our truth, if we want to see this in scripture, Revelation 14 tells us this. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and his image and his statue, and have accepted the mark of his name. The Lamb, that's just another way of describing Jesus, who is God, is there in that place. Hell is not and cannot be absent from God's presence. So that's just a few myths about hell I wanted to clear up to start with. There's a couple more that I will probably follow on with in a minute. But I want to talk about the biblical reality of hell as well. And then, before I finish, I might leave you with something a little bit more hope-filled and joyful. (laughs) So Jesus uses parables when he teaches. These are stories that illustrate a point. And a lot of his teaching on earth was done with parables. Some of them have become really well-known, um, so they even enter our everyday language. So everyone knows the phrase Good Samaritan. And in these parables, Jesus refers to people to make a point, but they're always nameless. So the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. They're just pictures of what Jesus is trying to illustrate. But there's one parable that is unique in the Bible. It's uh, unique because one character has a name. Jesus gives the man a name. And whilst I've got no basis to claim anything, I just wonder whether it's a bit more than just a story. It seems significant to me. So I'm just going to read it now. It won't come up behind me. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for the scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. 
Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can ever cross over from you to here. And no one can cross over from there to here. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophet have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. But the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So what we see here, firstly, as I said in the beginning, is you cannot hide from the truth. You cannot shy away from teaching about hell. Jesus here is teaching about hell in this parable. If we want to be like Jesus, we have to proclaim the truth. We cannot hide from it. And secondly, we see that this story illustrates justice. But this isn't a justice that the sinful mind can comprehend. The rich man is shouting, still arrogantly from hell, trying to get Lazarus to be his servant. This man ignored Lazarus his whole life. Lazarus sat by his gates in need, desperate, poor, just wanting some scraps from this rich man's table. And this rich man just ignores him. But all of a sudden, he doesn't want to ignore him anymore. He's desperate for Lazarus to help him. He wants his service. This rich man just can't comprehend that this is God's just and right punishment of him. And thirdly, what we see in this parable is that this rich man is fully aware of everything that is happening to him. He's aware that Lazarus is in heaven. He's aware that he has family who are in danger of going to hell. There's a phrase that church history has used, which isn't a particularly pleasant phrase. It's not a phrase I really like. But unfortunately, it seems to be fairly accurate. And the phrase is eternal, conscious torment. And we see it in this parable. The rich man is very much conscious. He's awake. He's aware. He feels. He remembers. He describes the place as a place of torment. And he speaks, well, he doesn't speak of eternal, but there are a couple of other myths I mentioned that I'll just come on to now because um, I think they fitted better here. So there's a myth that God's love will pardon everyone. It's called universalism, or as I like to put it, a.k.a. no one goes to hell. Um, it's a myth. It's the myth that even those who don't repent will go to heaven. Um, this myth has a new champion in the form of a pastor in America called 
Rob Bell. And he's written a book called Love Wins, which is arguing for this theology of universalism. So I'm going to try and summarize it quite badly by saying it's this. God loves everyone. He doesn't want to punish anyone. Therefore, he forgives and pardons everyone without them asking, and everyone goes to heaven. You know, the best way to tell a lie is to keep it really close to the truth because it's more believable that way. And in that argument, there are some really strong elements of truth. God is love. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if we stop at that point, then it looks like a really solid argument, doesn't it? God is love. He gave everything for us. So there's no way he'd condemn us to hell, right? But let's finish that verse. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You notice it's not God gave his son so absolutely everybody. It's God gave his son so whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So if you believe in God, and that just means more than just recognizing there is a God, it means that you trust in the God of the Bible. It means that you believe he gave everything up for you, that he died and he rose again, that his death covers your sin, that he paid the price of an eternity in hell. If you believe in God in that way, then you have eternal life. But if you don't believe in God, if you don't trust him as your saviour, John 3.16 uses the word perish, which leads me on to my final myth. Hell is finite, because destruction can't be eternal. If you destroy something, it's gone. Therefore, hell can't be eternal. And again, there's elements of truth in this. Hell is destruction. The Bible calls it destruction. But if we look at the whole of Scripture, we see... It's really hard to ignore the fact that hell is also eternal destruction. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But there's a really clear verse in Matthew 25 that I'm going to put up behind me in a minute. Because on the screen, what you'll see is, is the Greek underneath the verse, just to explain. So the verse is originally written in Greek. And that's the original part of that Bible. And I think it just really clearly illustrates the point. Matthew twenty five forty six, And these will depart into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, I don't normally use Greek for preaching. Um, I don't think it's particularly necessary a lot of the time. But I think here it really illustrates the point that hell is eternal. The word that I've highlighted on the screen there, I'll try and pronounce this, is Ionios. <laughs> which is used for both eternal life and eternal punishment. So if you want to take the Bible literally on eternal life, and I assume most of you probably do, then you have to take the Bible literally on eternal punishment. Because doing anything other than that is contradictory. And it's also interesting to note the word there, colossus, which is uh, it's punishment up there. Um, it can be defined as torment as well. Or it can be translated as torment. That's eternal conscious torment. 
So <laughs> I'm guessing by this point you're all probably feeling a bit deflated, a bit miserable. Um, probably will want me to get off the stage and shut up. But please stick with me for a bit longer. Remember to listen. I don't think we can escape the fact that the Bible speaks quite clearly of hell in multiple places, in multiple ways. And it's clear that it is real. And to say that it is unpleasant is the biggest understatement in the world. So why hell? Why did God make hell? If God is loving, how can he send people to hell? What is up with that? We know as Christians that God is loving. And more than just being loving, the Bible tells us God is love. So how can this God send people to hell? Well, God is loving, but he is also the judge of all creation. He is just and he is righteous. He is perfect and he can do no wrong. And more than just not being able to do wrong, he cannot allow wrong to go unpunished. If he allowed wrongs to go unpunished, he himself wouldn't be good. In Genesis 18, we read of Abraham questioning God. And he asks this, Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And we see God answer that question. We see him answer Abraham's challenge with his actions. He lets the righteous Lot and his family escape. And then he destroys the wicked in Sodom. I want to give you an opportunity here to consider whether you think hell is justifiable. So I'm going to give an example. But I want to make an apology before I give this example because... This might be upsetting, and it's an unpleasant example. So I make an apology beforehand. What do you think should happen to a man who lived a life of pure, depraved evil? A man who ruined hundreds of innocent lives. And he did it for his own gratification. A man who never showed a moment of remorse, who never experienced a minute of jail time. He experienced no justice here on this earth. What should God do to him? Is there anyone here who thinks that God is wrong to send that man to hell? Does anyone think he should spend an eternity in paradise? What kind of God would he be if he did not punish evil? You see, hell is not about fire and flames. It's about God, and it's about justice. We are sinful, fallen beings, so we struggle to see this. We struggle particularly when it's close to home. We've got a really a much easier time seeing this when it's an extreme example like that. But there's a reality, and it's that we have all done things that deserve punishment. Just like the criminal doesn't get to stand before the judge and choose his punishment... We don't get to stand before God and tell him what to do with us. God is the judge, and he will decide the punishment. I'm sure many of you might remember or know of the old school preachers who would stand here and they'd 
talk about hell a lot. They bang the desk and they get all worked up and scream about fire and brimstone. And uh, they'd be yelling at people, telling them they were going to burn in hell. And the intention was to scare people in the hopes that they might become Christian. Now again, I'm sure they're well-meaning, but well-meaning doesn't mean right. I've spent probably 15 minutes now talking about hell. And I'm just discussing a reality. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not yelling at you, telling you you need to repent or burn. Just discussing a reality. And there's two reasons why I won't use scare tactics. One, it doesn't save people. You can't scare people into heaven. Rats will run to desert a sinking ship, but they'll drown in the sea once they've escaped. You cannot try and run from the dangers of hell if all you ever hear is danger, danger, hell. You won't know where the safety is. You'll miss what this is really about. And the second reason I won't use scare tactics is this. What you're saved with is what you're saved to. Which is just another way of saying it doesn't work. It doesn't save people. What I mean is if all you ever hear is God is going to throw you in hell, you'll be saved or more accurately enslaved to a religion of fear. Let me put it another way. If the only reason... You don't go around stealing and taking everything you've ever wanted. It's because you're scared of getting caught. Then your obedience is based purely on fear and not on desiring to do the right thing, not on being kind and loving to other people and not wanting to cause pain. People don't need to be scared into conformity, into doing the right thing, because that's empty morality. Dry religion is meaningless. People need to know the truth. The truth is that there is a real place called hell. But they need to know the whole truth. That there is a God who loves us. And he wants to be able to pardon our crimes. It's a God who demands justice. And that justice demands punishment. But a God who loves us so much that he wants to stand in our place. And to take that punishment. A God who wants us to be captivated by his love. And he wants us to be able to love him out of that captivation of love. People need to hear that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And people need to hear that being saved from hell isn't what this is all about. Being able to call God your father. Being able to know the God of the universe. The God who created you, holds you in his hands. It's about knowing his love. That's what this is about. See, when your eyes are open to the truth, the whole truth, it's then that you can have both the fear of God and live out a fearless, faith-filled life. When your eyes are opened, you see these seemingly contradictory ideas that you need to fear God, and yet God does not give us a spirit of fear, and they make sense. So, if you've been listening, and I really hope you have, I hope you understand that I didn't talk about hell to scare you. I talked about it because it's real. And it's part of God's justice. And because there are some falsehoods about hell that need clearing up. I hope you understand that going to hell 
or fear of going to hell or wanting to go to heaven are not the same thing as knowing God and being saved and born again. But if you are here and you've lived your life out of a position of fear, I want you to know that God loves you, that he did not die for you begrudgingly. He did not take his, your sin on himself reluctantly. He didn't die for you so you could cower away from him, afraid of hell. I want every single person here to know and to experience and to walk in the love of God. God loves you like no one else ever could. So if you're here this morning and you don't know that love and you want to experience that love and know that love, then please come and talk to us after service. You can find Pete, you can find me. And we'll talk with you, we've got the prayer team. So I'm just going to pray now to close. Heavenly Father, pour out your spirit of love on this place, I pray. Lord, bring the lies that we have believed over the years about you and about hell to the surface and destroy them, Lord. Let us know only your truth. Lord, I pray that anyone who does not know you here, anyone who's been enslaved to a religion of fear, that you will set them free, Lord. That you will be here amongst us in salvation this morning. Lord, open eyes. Open our eyes and renew us in your spirit. Lord, be glorified in this place. This is about you. It's all for your glory, Lord. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I realize that wasn't a nice, pleasant, happy talk. Um, And I really hope I haven't upset anyone.